Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. We continue our May Corn Queen takeover with this episode with Chloe Zool, who is playing Catherine of Aragon in the Australian production of Six. Chloe's was an interesting conversation, and I really, really loved just how, how real and how honest and, I guess... Talking about the struggle of of keeping keeping the business exciting and keeping the business fresh, Chloe was very honest. And at the end of the episode, after we had stopped recording, we continued to talk, and and she said that she had wished that she had talked some more a little bit about the the mental health aspect of of her anxiety and whatnot. And so we started recording again. And as you hear this episode, we're going to edit in the the final bit that we recorded into the middle of the episode where it makes sense. So when you're listening to it, it should all be totally streamless. But Chloe, thank you for for wanting to say more and going back and giving us that opportunity to hear more of your story. But as she was going from job to job, she actually used the break, she's using this break in COVID-19 and, and the isolation to reflect on what she loves most about performing. Because in my opinion, she didn't say this, but in my opinion, I think she just got burnt out because she was trying hard. She literally closed one show and and started six the next morning. So just didn't have any time to to relax and recuperate. And I don't envy the struggle that that successful actors have to continue to do day after day. Even as you're working, even if you're in a in a successful show, you're always thinking about where your next job's going to come from. So just keep that in mind when you're supporting the arts, when you're supporting your actors, that this profession is hard. And these people that we're seeing on stage on the Broadway world, on the on the main stage in, in Australia and on the West End stages, and I mean, they have worked their, their butts off to get where they are. They are the Olympians of theater, and they deserve all the accolades they can get. So... Before we get into this, let me just remind you to please open up your app wherever you're listening, leave a rating, please leave a review, follow me online at theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter, and remember you can find the video version of this interview at ttp.fm slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Chloe Zool. Today's guest was most recently seen as Anita in West Side Story in Australia, New Zealand, and Germany. She has additional stage credits such as Ragtime, Hairspray, Legally Blonde, Les Mis, Rent, Little Shop, and even the Australian premiere of Beautiful, the Carol King musical. Coming to us all the way from Tasmania, currently cast as Catherine of Aragon in the Australian production of Six, Chloe Zool. Welcome to the Theatre Podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. No problem. So you were telling me before we started recording here that Tasmania, where Tasmania is, a little, it's, <laughs> I, I equated it to the, the Florida of, of Australia. It's right there down at the tip, little island. It, yeah, that tiny little bit at the bottom of Australia that's not connected, but is connected. So for, yeah. for us ignorant Americans, like Tasmanian devils, most of us have never seen one in real life. 
uh, are they are they as like cartoony and destructive as Bugs Bunny and those cartoons make them out to be? Pretty ignorant question, but uh, I have to ask. No, not at all. Um, no, look, I I don't know. I'm actually not from Tasmania. My husband is a born and bred. Tasmanian, Taswegian, whatever you'd like to call him. And he's, um, he loves, absolutely loves it here. And when we, when all of this coronavirus happened uh, and our jobs and our industry ceased to exist, we had to make a quick decision to, about what to do. And I mean, that's the short version, but that's why we're here in Tasmania. So my knowledge of Tasmania and its native animals and other such things is, um, it's look, it's limited. And my husband would be really disappointed by that, but it is. <laughs> oh, totally, totally, totally fine. Um, well, so that's actually a, a good segue, I guess, into into like the business itself because uh, you your cast had just finished uh the, doing six at the Sydney Opera House. So you were you were in Sydney and then next was slated for uh from Melbourne, I think was the next stop, yeah? Yeah, that's yeah. correct. And then so you were already on a break and then all of a sudden you get this news that like the world is shutting down more or less. Did did from your from your vantage point, um I mean, did you did you see more of what was coming? I find I find when I travel internationally, quick interjection, that I get more global news when I'm not in the U.S. The U.S. is very much like U.S. centric, and then the rest of the world cares about the rest of the world. So, <laughs> you know what I mean. And so, I did you see all of like the writing on the wall of like the world shutting down and the tour and your, your production stopping and everything like, or did you expect to be sort of in quarantine for this long? I mean, I don't think anyone could have predicted it. I, it started with that freaking toilet paper situation where all of a sudden everyone was just buying up the, all the toilet paper. And I just was, you know, rolling my eyes thinking this is ridiculous. Um, but I'm sure it was the same for you guys where every it, things changed almost by the hour within those those few weeks where the world was absolutely turned upside down it was like new information was coming and things were changing constantly um we were we had just gone on to our break for six um and to be honest I was really desperate for a break because I had gone straight from West Side Story into ragtime. Then I'd flown to Tasmania, gotten married, had a week off and flown back to Adelaide to finish West Side Story. And then I finished West Side Story that night and the following morning started six. And so I just had been going, 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 going. And we, my husband and I, had actually planned our honeymoon for this break. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in, in, and this wasn't like us at all, but we were actually waiting on a few auditions and things. And so we planned this honeymoon for this break, this five-week break, because we're both performers and we know that when we have a break at the same time, we make the most of it. And it was the first chance that we would get to go on a honeymoon. So we planned it, but then, so we planned to start in Italy 
um, and then we were working out the rest. And uh, my husband's sister lives in Italy with her husband, so we're quite across what's happening over there. And so (laughs) as we came into this time off, we decided to push it back a week because of a really big audition that we wanted to do. And, you know, that was that thing where you don't really want to, well, I don't really want to base my entire life around the industry because I think then there's no balance. So I was kind of begrudging it a little bit thinking, you know, oh God, here we go again, you know, moving our holiday and everything around auditions and work. But it actually turned out to be the best thing because we didn't book our flights for the trip that we planned because we were just waiting on this final audition thing to come through. And so because we hadn't booked our flights, then coronavirus happened and we started looking at the Europe flights and they were super cheap. And we're like, oh, this is easy. This is great, actually, because we'll still be able to go, but we'll just be really careful and we might reduce the places that we go we'll just go to Italy and somewhere else anyway obviously Italy shut down we're like cool 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 we'll go to Spain (laughs) (laughs) and this was like by the hour things were changing and this happened over a few days and we got to around the fourth day of looking I mean a return flight to Europe was just ridiculously cheap and that should have been the writing on the wall for us but I think we were so desperate for this holiday that we just kept trying to be positive and we're like doesn't matter now we'll book our flight last minute blah 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 Anyway, it got to around the fourth day and my husband's family were like, just don't, you cannot go. You can't go to Europe. You'll get stuck there. And I didn't want to go over and get stuck in quarantine over here. So we decided not to go. And within that week, everything just flipped and Broadway closed. And we just, I mean, I laughed because obviously it's all really serious and we were very much across the news. But the moment that Broadway closed, that's when I really sat down and realised that this was a real thing, which is just hilarious. <laughs> like, yeah, um, this is so unprecedented here and people, people are losing their shit. They don't know what to do. And like performer friends here that have their livelihood. I, I mean, <laughs> it's interesting to me because a lot of people are now starting to do like more voiceover auditions. People are still casting for things. but. There's nothing, but it's not, like, we don't know when it's going to come back. And there's already some, like, it's really been sad because there's been, there's been some shows, uh, some shows that didn't open that announced they, that they just said that we're just not going to open. And then some, like, seasonal uh, houses are like, our whole summer stock, we're canceling it, everything's done. Um, People whose livelihood depends on all of this are just like, what do we do now? So you have tons of fundraisers and people who can, you know, donating to support the Actors Fund and the emergency relief, the COVID emergency relief fund for Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS. It's just, it's really, really just crazy in in a, like, if for me, I look out the window and I live in Brooklyn, in New York, and I look out the window and it seems, it's just like, I don't see, I don't see pollution, I don't see you know, screaming and death and dying and like, you know, you, you imagine horrible things from movies and you look out the window and it's like, oh, it's just normal. It's, you can't see it. And it's, for me personally, it's really, it's really weird. And we've been quarantined here in, in the house here for like coming up on two months now, I guess. And I think this weekend, the Sunday night now I'm interviewing you, your Monday morning, 
And this weekend, I really just started to feel a little bit of, of just a little bit of like uneasiness of loss of control, I guess, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. It's very unsettling. I mean, even in the war, music and theater wasn't taken away like it is now. Yeah. This is just, no one could have ever predicted this. And it it really, it's not something that you prepare for, you know, like people had put in place bushfire, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, Precautions or, um, you know, like you prepare yourself for natural disasters and things that are likely to happen. But I, I don't, know that anyone had a uh, coronavirus plan in place just in case our entire in- industry disintegrates in front of our eyes. I know I can do this. <laughs> no one's prepared for that. Well, what do you? What are you doing? Are are you like? I know a lot of people are, are doing online teaching, and some people have degrees that have nothing to do with performing at all. I mean, are are you are you able to still like earn an income right now, or are you just kind of waiting for for things to come back? You know, uh, a few years ago, I studied Pilates teaching, and I teach reform of Pilates uh, just to have a backup, and so that if I decided to get pregnant, I could work teaching Pilates and support myself uh, also because my husband's a performer and that's tricky, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I can't teach Pilates right now. <laughs> um, and I was that kid that just put all my eggs in this basket and only wanted to perform, only thought about performing. That was just always what I was going to do. And I have been lucky enough to do that for years, years and years, this is all I've done other than teaching Pilates or working in a cafe. But this is that time where I can't work in a cafe, I can't teach Pilates. And I have been over the last week, especially sitting here thinking, what do I love? What am I passionate about? What else can I do? What do I care enough about to have the discipline to study? Uh, What am I even good at? I just it's been a real identity crisis and there's a lot of guilt around that because there are some people that are like they've signed up for their course and they're doing this and that and they've got their lists every day and I am usually that person that I wake up and I do yoga and I meditate and then I go and run this errand and then I come back and do that and I'm busy, busy, busy all the time and it's it's been quite confronting for me to do the complete opposite. (laughs) And... um, to answer your question, sorry, no, I'm not earning money at the moment. And the reason we're in Tasmania is that my husband's family have apple orchards here in Tasmania. They grow beautiful produce in Tasmania. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and we realised as we were on our way to – we were packing up the car ready to drive to Melbourne to bunker down there. Is that where you're from? We – my husband – no, I'm from Sydney, but we're total gypsies. <laughs> so we were in Sydney and we were planning to go to Melbourne because at that point we still thought that the tour would go ahead maybe just a little bit later. And we thought we'll go to Melbourne. Uh, two of my closest friends are there. We're, we both have really close friends there. We had somewhere to stay and we'll just chill out in Melbourne and wait it out and see what happens. 
we had this moment where we realised that we would be a part of hundreds, thousands of people applying for a supermarket job or a cafe job and uh, we needed to have some sort of income coming in and my husband had the opportunity to work here in Tasmania so we came here and he's picking apples, he's literally picking apples on an orchard and I'm here trying to figure out what to do with my life. <laughs> well, because there's no there's no end in sight. At no, the no. Well, you can start a podcast. You know, <laughs> me, <laughs> you can, you can me a, and every other Joe Blow. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me about then when your childhood. You said like as a kid, all you ever wanted to do was was perform. So, are you originally from Sydney? Is that where you grew up? I'm from Sydney. My. Uh, my mum had me pretty young and it was just her and I until I was eight. And then, and so I just think it's amazing now as a woman looking back on what my mum did for me. I mean, eight years is a long time to be a single mum and she was studying herself. She's a um, principal at a school and she put me into dancing and you know, bought all the costumes and paid for all the, I did competitions every weekend and it was such a big deal. Like she gave up her weekends and her evenings to come to dancing and watch me and, you know, I just think it's amazing that she did that. But, uh, yeah, I started dancing when I was five and I just loved it. I started singing when I was 12 and... It's always been clear in my mind. I've never, ever, I mean, I think there was a point where maybe I thought I wanted to be a journalist, but it was really short-lived. I really have always said that I wanted to be an entertainer, which kind of makes me sound like I wanted to be a pole dancer or um, something like that, but I just (laughs) genuinely wanted, I, I desperately wanted to perform. Well, what, what is it about performing that, that drew you to it? Is it? I mean, you get you get a form of validation when you're on stage and you can control people's emotions and make them feel things. And it's, it's a comfortable way to not be yourself. I mean, I've heard so many answers to this question, but, you know, for you, what, do you, what draws you to want to be on stage and sing every night? Again, this is something I've been thinking about a lot because, you know, any other job, once you've, once you've been on stage, once you've had this job as a job, it's, I think every other job will seem mundane and not special. And I actually don't know because I haven't done that. But I think that's what makes it tricky for performers to find something else because this is what we do is magic and the feeling that we get that instant gratification and that the adrenaline and the, I, I don't. I don't think many other jobs have that. Have that instant <laughs> feedback and that instant feeling of achievement. Mm-hmm. And so I've been trying to think about like, what is it? Like, how? What can I find within this? Why do I love it? Why do I do this? I think part of it is that we like doing things that we're reasonably good at. You know, like if I, I'm it's unlikely that I'm going to go outside and play soccer because and, and really persist with it because I'm not that great at it. It's hard to stick it 
things that you're not good at. But when you are doing something and you're achieving and you're getting praise, it's exciting and exhilarating and you want to get better at it. And I think that's part of it. Part of it is that it's something that I'm good at, mostly, sometimes. (laughs) Uh, It's one of the only things that I'm good at because I put all my time and energy into it. Um, I, I think another thing that I love about it, which is a strange thing, is that it's different. You know, I like that our day off is Monday. And so when I want to go to the supermarket, no one's there. I like that everyone's coming home from work and we're going to work. I like that we are forced to be open-minded about people and things and ideas. I like that we have to study people's It's our job to understand and study people's emotions and way of being so that we can then use that for ourselves as characters. I, I love that part of the job is living in music, you know, like that's, I used to go to sleep with music on and wake up, like I would just put a CD on to go to sleep. And I I did that all the way until I met my husband when he was like, okay, we don't go to sleep with music on. It's not a thing. You mustn't do that. (laughs) It's so annoying. (laughs) But I I love that because music music brings people to life. Music is is life. And I I love that that we get to do that. And I love that we get to move our bodies. You know, we get those endorphins and we get to... We get to move and live in the music. Like that is really special. I think I've just been rambling this whole time. But I haven't interrupted you because I'm- because <laughs> watching your face light up about this is has been just phenomenal. I can tell like you love this. This is what what it's all you want to do. I can see that in your face when you're talking about it. That's interesting because I'm glad that you said that because for a little while, I actually wasn't sure. I wasn't sure that I loved this. I wasn't sure that that that's why I was doing it. I think I forgot. I forgot why I started and I forgot that I loved it because I had really terrible anxiety. And when you have anxiety, it, every day performing, every moment performing is hell. And I I maybe I needed this time and this break to really reignite that passion and and to prove to myself that I do love it and that's why I've been doing it for this amount of time. So thank you for saying that because it's actually interesting to me hearing myself (laughs) say these things and um, it's good. It's good for me. Yes. uh, (laughs) I guess with anxiety, what I feel is when you're going through it, when you're in the moment, it feels like nobody understands, like you're completely alone. And when you're out of it, you realize that so many people feel that exact same way and it's not as lonely as you think. And it's such an overwhelming feeling when you're in the moment. But I think the trick is to sort of see yourself from above and realize that you can talk to people about it and that you're not the anxiety, it's happening to you, but it's not you. And there are so many other people that feel like that too and you can find a way out of it with those people. And actually, sorry, please go on. What, what, do, you, what do you do when you're in that moment though? How do you pull yourself out of it? 
I often don't, you know, I, during six, it doesn't happen very often to me anymore, but there were a few shows where I had a panic attack on stage and Carla, uh, she's just a beautiful human. Carla, who plays Anne Boleyn, sits next to me in the room because we sit in order. (laughs) And she could see it in my eyes. I think my eyes must have glazed over or something. I mean, there was literally one show where I started choking on one of my lines because I felt like I was, I couldn't breathe. And I could see myself going through the anxiety attack from above. I could see it. And I was in my head saying, Chloe, breathe. It's not real. This isn't real. Just keep breathing. You're having a panic attack. Just keep breathing. But I still choked. And Carla, when I came off, just gave me the biggest hug and and covered me in her arms and her body. And Kiana came and did the same and they gave me so much love and I felt so supported. And all the girls said to me, next time that happens, just look at one of us, just lock eyes with us and we've got you. We've always got you. Uh, and that was a really big moment for me because uh, because you do feel alone in that moment. And I and I did say to myself, you know what? Next time it happens, I will look at them and they will carry me, and I won't feel alone and I'll be okay. It's hard to so, to let yourself <laughs> rely on somebody else. You know, speaking for myself, it's it's you know I always want to be the person like holding myself up, and I can get through it, and I can do it, and and it's it's been a challenge. It, it this the late the last few years of my life, and as a, as I've been regularly going to therapy now, um, to like you said, actually, so I, I I regret asking the question how I did a second ago, like how do you pull yourself out of it? Because I don't feel you should pull yourself out. It's more acknowledging that you're in it, and and oh, how do you get to the other side? Yes, maybe, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's what I was taught for so many years, especially as a young kid, was just pretend it isn't there, get over it, move on, and that doesn't deal with the issue. That ignores the problem. Yeah, and I think something that helps is acknowledging that you did get through it. You know, because I got off stage that day and I bawled my eyes out and the girls said, but you did it. So maybe you choked a little bit and maybe you felt like you were doing a terrible show, but you did the entire show. You did it. You got from the start to the end and you threw it and you're okay. And giving yourself that recognition and acknowledging that you did it, you did it. You went on stage, which is scary to start off with, but you did that and you had anxiety or you got through something and you did it regardless. You did it in spite of that that is something to be proud of and that is something that you need to acknowledge to then the next time it happens, if it happens, say, I've done this before and I can get to the other side and it's okay. It's not real. It doesn't last forever. This too shall pass and I'm okay. I'm safe. I'm okay. That That's something I'm learning and uh, I hope, I hope, hope, hope that other people can learn that and and get through that because I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. It's, it's, it can really be debilitating. And like I said before, it may, it made me feel like I didn't love what I love, like, and that I, I couldn't do what I love to do and what I'm good at. It made me really question whether I was able to even perform if I was good at it because the anxiety made me sing strangely and, and do just strange things because 
I was, my body was going through something. Hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing. I, I think that a lot of people probably going through similar situations in life, especially right now, giving, given the, the mental anguish everybody is under in this, you know, self, the quarantine and, and the pandemic that's going on. I mean, like we talked about it earlier that now I'm just starting to feel a little bit like loss of control. And, and, and I think what I didn't want to say earlier that is more accurate is a little bit of hopelessness. It's just like, mm-hmm. what am I going to do? What am I going to do now? I guess take it one day at a time. And I'm, and now I have to, I have to sit in this today, tonight, and or this weekend. I've been acknowledging it, like, okay, I feel this way, and I need to, I need to see how it's making me feel and understand why I'm feeling this way. And and I start to get very like analytical, which helps me to get to the other side, as you very very well uh, put it. So. Um, it's easy. Yeah, go ahead. Well, we've lost all, we've lost all our sense of control, haven't we? So yeah. we've lost. And I mean, we are actually as actors, performers, people in this industry equipped to deal with this more so than a lot of other people, because we are constantly having jobs taken away or being dealt, uh, constructive criticism, but criticism nonetheless. And we are being told that, we can't have what we want because someone else decides that for us. You know, we, this happens to us a lot. So in a way we are really equipped to deal with it and we're ready for something like this, but because we live with constant uncertainty already, it's like, this is just bringing us right to the edge. We're about to teeter over. Well, I am anyway, because there is no end in sight. And no one's around the corner being like, don't worry, it's fine. Or, you know, in September, like there's no pressure us. So we just complete the beast and let go and give in to the fact that we can't control anything. It's out of our hands. I don't know if I answered your question. Oh, you did. You did. In a roundabout way, you did. I mean, it's performing, you know, they say like you, to perform, to be good at it professionally, you have to have it whatever it is, right? So I think it's as hard to describe as it is to explain. But if you're good at it and you love it and you feel it, then it's just what you have to do. You're drawn to it. And there are people who are drawn to to forms of expression that are writing and some love to direct. They love that funneling of creative power into, into creating a bigger picture. And, and like me personally, I have merged a, a left brain and a right brain conflict with needing validation and loving to sing and be on stage with with needing to uh I have OCPD which is obsessive compulsive personality disorder and OCPD is basically you can't see the forest through the trees so you hype you get hyper focused on details and so that's why I could never I could never be good at performing because I could never get past myself and get out of my own head I was always criticizing myself for every little detail but I've been able to bring this back into a the podcast, and then like the being part of and starting the pod, Broadway Podcast Network, bringing all this business side together to to you know a rising tide lifts all ships to bring everybody up into a family and bring everyone together. It's such a personally validating and exciting thing for me to be able to take a step back and look and say, oh look, you know we're creating this, and 
for you, I can, I totally understand. I totally understand what you were saying. And especially as, you know, with someone who has anxiety, it, it's, yeah, you are constantly kind of in fear of, of something, you know, you're putting that on yourself and getting, getting that validation from the applause and knowing that, I mean, the show you're, you keep getting work and you keep getting hired because you're good. And it's a way to validate yourself and it's a way to feel good about yourself. And, and in doing something, feeling good and getting validated, doing something that also chemically releases all the, the love, the love hormones and, and the endorphins, the good bits bits that your brain (laughs) needs. Right. Yeah. So totally, totally. I, I totally get it. And I've been rambling too, but, suffice it to say I understand what you were saying no 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 I I mean you're probably trying to uh translate what I was saying so that people aren't asleep um so it's thank you (laughs) well six the show itself I mean it's just exploded and uh, yeah I hope now that you've got this break for the you know for quarantine in, I, I didn't realize that you had gone straight from closing West Side Story to opening six, right? So you didn't get a break. And, and did you have any sort of time until recently to kind of step back and reflect on just how like globally massive the show has become and that you are one of a select few people who can call themselves an original six queen? And that's that's incredibly special. It it really is, and I didn't I didn't have that opportunity, or I didn't give myself that opportunity until uh, till we were in the opera house. I think I when we were auditioning for six, uh, I was doing West Side Story at the opera house as well, actually. And you know, you finish late at night, and then you get up at six in the morning to go and do these auditions every day for that week, um, and that was just work also because Westside was physically and mentally really demanding. So I was very much in the space of I need to preserve my energy. I need to be on stage tonight. So I need to do well in this audition. I think I'm right for this show, but I also have a job. So I was just managing that, managing my days to get to the end of that week, to get to the end of that Sydney season of Westside. And so all of that was, uh, that all kind of passed me by. I didn't have time to buy into the hype of it because I just couldn't afford to. And so even when I started first day, uh, do you know what, actually, when we did our uh, our launch for six and I met the other queens, well, I met uh, six, I met the five queens and I hadn't met the swings yet. But when we all came together and we sang together and we did this photo shoot and we had this instant bond and camaraderie. I felt the butterflies and I started to have a moment to realise like what I was a part of. And then, you know, when we met the creatives and when we were in Sydney doing the show, it really hit home that this is a really special thing that I'm a part of. And, and you know, you're right. Like I doing that. I don't know if you saw, we did that worldwide six thing where all the Queens. I loved it. It was so good. Yeah. 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 I just cried. I just sobbed because 
uh, I've never been a part of something like that. And there, this is a legacy that I'm so excited to be a part of. And Toby and Lucy wrote this. They're like children. They're so young and they're so brilliant. And yeah, I feel really, I feel really privileged to be a part of it. And I feel so glad that I got to meet those girls and that we have this bond that we do uh, probably because we are a part of something so special. Well, you have to have fun for the show to work. The, the, all of, all the six of you on stage have to genuinely, I think really like each other. Cause there's a lot of moments when, when you're interacting, you know, upstage and in somebody else has got their nice solo in the spotlight downstage. But, um, I, I saw the final preview in of Broadway the night before Broadway shut down, and I was watching. I've, I, yeah, I I was watching the the girls when they weren't singing. I was enjoying that as much as watching whoever was singing at the time because whoever whoever sang back or whatever. Because it seems like you, like everybody was genuinely just having fun and loved being up there and were playing just. Game, you know, I I games with each other to make sure that you're that you were still in the moment and whatnot. It was such a fun show to watch all around. Aside from just learning learning history too, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which you come out of you like, oh yeah, oh yeah, all right. I have I'm piecing all together all the things I've seen in movies now. Cool, okay. And <laughs> and then yeah. and then you add a, the extra layer of it being great music, and then it's all concert style. And then the final layer that I love about it is it's just it's this this female empowerment kind of you know movement and and I just love on, on top of all that like icing on the cake is the complete like colorblind casting that that happened. Oh yeah, yeah. In, in every yep. cast, like around the world. Yeah, and I mean the show really promotes that all the way from the audition. They really. It's all about supporting each other, cheering each other on, and but also about being unique and appreciating everyone's unique qualities. There, I never ever want to think anything bad about any of the girls. I mean, not that you would about anyone, but there is just this like real. There's a really deep love and respect that we have for each other and an understanding. And I think the show as well, because we each get our moment, there's no need to try and upstage anyone or try to be the star because that's not what the show is about. The show is about all of us as a group and about females supporting each other and about not playing each other off each other. And I I think that is why we have that vibe as well because we have to you're right and like when we're in the dressing room we are all so loving and supportive of each other we talk we still talk every day like I literally just got a text from we have a a whatsapp group yeah there's they're just going off (laughs) (laughs) it's so it's so cool and you know what I think the other thing is is that this is such a specific show that requires a specific set of skills. And I love looking around at the other girls and being genuinely in awe of them, genuinely impressed. And I really respect their talent and the people that they are. And maybe that's 
casting as well. They just did a great job of picking great chicks. Um, was the audition? Yes, also. Sorry, oh, please go on. I was going to say, was the audition for this different than, I mean, obviously I think what they would ask you to sing for this is a little bit different than what they would ask you to sing for West Side Story. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was a really, really different audition process. And if I'm being really honest, I found it really, really difficult uh, for someone that has battled with anxiety over the last few years. And I mean, really, really battled with it. I, when I was doing Beautiful, I sang the locomotion. I was little Eva. And I would have proper panic attacks side stage often. Hmm. I would go on stage for my song and come off and not remember going on. Like the whole thing was just a blur. Um, I lost like a part of me in that show, which should have been the best ever because it was the most amazing cast and such an incredible show. But something happened along the way there and I had a really tough time. And so for someone with anxiety that kind of, I got it together for West Side and I'd really you know, found a way to manage that. Uh, A lot of the audition was to sing and perform in front of the other audition people. Auditioners. (laughs) And I really struggled with auditioners, audition people. Um, (laughs) I really struggled with that. I found it really confronting and overwhelming. And while I was supportive of other people, I had all these voices in my head just saying, you can't do it. They think you're a fraud. Get off, get out. Um, you know, and so that was a really interesting time for me and I found it really hard. Uh, but the cool thing was that I got to do what I love to do, which is sing pop songs. So that was fun. And we got, I got to audition for a few of the Queens. So I got to learn some of their songs, which I just love the music and the show. So that was actually a really cool part of it. How was it structured cast wise? Like there, there's two, three swings or two swings? For us, we have three swings. Three, okay. And so so you are Catherine, and then that's it. You don't need to cover anybody else, or the three swings know, no, they each know two roles. God. They know all, they know everyone's roles. All three know all six? They have, yes. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Swings, swings. They all, yeah. Yeah, being a swing is one of the hardest jobs in theater. I will just flat out say that. I, yeah. Yeah, and this particular show where, we're all leading ladies. Like it's not just stand on the side and just do a little, you know, like my plot in Les Mis, which was in one of the songs, literally pick up a barrel and move it from one side to the other. Like, no, no, it's not that. It's everything is like a Rubik's Cube and the dialogue is so quick and it needs to keep the pace and if you forget a line then the next person can't really make it up and, it is so tricky. I genuinely don't understand how they're doing it. I mean, they have people that they will go on for first as their kind of first rehearsed. So they have three, the three main ones each that they focus on, but they all know every single track. That That's very, very impressive. But yeah, it's just kind of nuts. It's nuts. Um yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm impressed with the show. Yeah, completely. I mean, it just came out of left field, and I think. I think it was like it was like two years. Two years ago is when 
it basically got got to Broadway in two years from beginning to Broadway, and that's almost like I don't know any other show, especially something that didn't come from a major studio like Frozen. Yeah. As soon as the movie came out, okay, sure. Like the next day, they're like, "This is going to be a musical." Start working on it, but that's you know multi million dollar sort of team, and this is a show. Did they? I didn't know that. Oh yeah, I mean, I I don't know the specifics behind Frozen, but the the show, I think, started... Oh, gosh. Someone's going to fact-check me on this. Um, but Not yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was like literally just over two years, I think, from when the movie came out to when uh, the, the performances started on Broadway, I think. Um, yeah. So, of course, they were... You know, they took the shows... They took the songs from the show or from the movie and made it into something else. So they already had something that worked that had already been in development for years. But Six just came out of nowhere and I think you know there have been small tweaks as as they go on and I and I was talking to the some of the Broadway cast and you know they were saying that for Broadway they they updated a little bit of the costumes and changed some lighting and and Broadwayified it but the story's all the same mm-hmm. like it was script locked a long time ago so yeah it, I it's it just blows my mind like Toby and Lucy I hope they listen to these interviews they just I don't know how they how they did it or if they're going to try to do it again you know maybe they'll make seven the sequel who knows if <laughs> there's honestly something I, else. I would go and see anything that they created because they are so cool they're so clever and I the writing for me is like some of my favorite tv shows you know like the humor is like friends and the the quick wit is like Gilmore Girls. I mean, I'm not comparing it to those things. I, I just love both of those shows and it reminds me of, of that kind of vibe. Uh, but the way that they work together as well, and we weren't lucky enough to meet Toby, but we had Lucy with us and she, the show is her. And when you look at her, she looks, she's so young and she's so down to earth and so cool, but she knows exactly what it needs to be. And she's so clear with what she wants. And it's so inspiring to be in her presence. I, I so look forward to what they will do next because you're right. This is incredible. Yeah. Did, did she help you at all? I mean, in, I'm, I'm sure she was there with, for the casting and the audition process, I assume, but did she help you with, with, the, like getting over any anxiety and things? Like, was there ever a point when they said, or when you said, I don't know if I can do this, and they said, yeah, like we want you because you're good and you had to have this talk? Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Lucy wasn't there for the casting. I mean, she watched all our videos, but she wasn't there. Uh, and it was so, I was so relieved to have her because uh, this show is a strange show in that, you're a character, but you're yourself, but you're a character. It's, you're not, um, I'm not putting on my Anita hat and with my accent and my, you know, full character breakdown and years of people doing it to be able to do research and to understand, you know, like it's, it's not a show like that. So I found it very hard to understand what the tone of the show was and how to give myself as Chloe to the character, but not bring Chloe onto stage because Catherine of Aragon doesn't have anxiety. She's not 
self-deprecating or um, unsure. She knows exactly what she wants and what she's doing and why she's saying what she's saying. So I found that balance really difficult. And Lucy really helped me understand what it was and unlock that. Uh, But the day before opening in Sydney, uh, the associate director said, are you okay? And I just broke down in tears and sat on the floor and just said, I don't want to be the shit one. I don't know if I can swear, but I don't want to be the one that people come and don't understand why I'm here with everyone else. I don't want to be the one that's not funny. I don't, I don't think I can do this. I don't know what I'm doing. I just don't know what I'm doing. And they gave me a really, both of them, <laughs> gave me a really lovely pep talk and uh, I shouldn't have needed it, but I needed it. And that was a really special thing to have the writer of the show encourage me and, and ensure that I was there for a reason. Well, make me feel like I was there for a reason. You are. You, I mean, you wouldn't have been yeah. cast. You would not have been cast. Uh, I mean, from everything I've seen, it is a well-deserved role for you. So... Uh, I I agree I agree and support that. Um, I I always I mentioned this a couple times on the podcast. I get back to it a lot, but uh, my conversation with Patty Murin, um, which was God, it was a year ago at this point. Um, she used to have after she, after she was she was opened as Anna in Frozen and had been doing this great role for months and months, she started to get these panic attacks because it was the maintenance of the pressure or the pressure of the maintenance to be Mm -hmm. this Disney princess. And so she would, she would call out before shows, sometimes mid show, she would have to stop because of anxiety. So like you're not alone. The most talent, some of the most talented people in the industry through all their success, still deal with all of this, and and uh, it's part of it's part yeah. of what makes us good. I think is being able to self-analyze and understand what we did right, and understand what we did wrong, and work out what we need to improve. You know, every person that I know that's a performer, that's a good performer, is constantly working out what they can do to be better and how they can. Uh, yeah, improve their performance and what they're doing. So I think that is part of why anxiety comes easily to us because you are sitting there picking apart what's right and wrong about what you're doing. And and we do it as well when we're watching shows. Okay, I don't like that. I didn't like that. Oh, I think that was flat. Oh, I think that was sharp or whatever it is. And so then it's almost impossible to not put that on to yourself. And I think being Australian and just with the personality that I have, my humor is self-deprecating. Like it's been a, it's a real challenge for me to uh, not use myself as the butt of a joke or to put myself down to, uh, I don't know, so, so maybe so someone else doesn't. I'm not sure, but that is, that's something that I have to work on and that's something that plays into my anxiety for sure. Yeah, yeah. Constantly having imposter syndrome. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's easier. I can sit here and tell you you're fine, but, you know, only you can believe that. And and some people... Yeah, and that's, that's the work, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some people, their entire life, they go hearing that. I mean, you look at you look at people like Robin Williams, right? I mean, 
you would look at him and say his career is great. His life's great. He's one of the funniest men alive, but he was so closeted depressed. It was, you know, it's very sad. So I, I am. My husband read somewhere that like, or oh, he says it to me often. I don't know where he got it from, but he says, um, don't compare your insides to someone's outsides. Yes. Especially with social media. Because mm-hmm. all social yeah. media is, is, is just like, hey, I'm going to the beach and I'm doing this and I'm happy here. And, and yeah. you know, it's kind of hypocritical though, because I always post good things and happy things as well. But, and then I get down on people <laughs> when, when someone's like, I've had a bad day and I'm, and I, I can't tell you what's going on, but just send me your thoughts. I'm like, oh, they just need attention. Someone just give that person attention. They're just, they need sympathy or something. And, and so like, obviously there's a reason they're saying that that needs to be validated. And I acknowledge that. And it, God, there's no, there's no right answer. And this is so, just so hard in general to just be a nice person these days because you don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm trying to say? Like you're, especially with, with social media, maybe be a nice person, not, not the right way of what I'm trying to say. But with social media, people can follow you. It's the the barrier between like the the non-performer and the performer, the muggle and the performer, right? Like that barrier is broken down because you can go home with people digitally and they take your Instagram with you with them in your in their pockets and they follow you on Facebook and they can send you messages and and it's super easy to get in contact with anybody. So I I feel a level of of heightened sort of self-awareness just by everything I post, because especially now as we can continue down this cancel culture, because you say one wrong thing and then all of a sudden, you know, the internet will never let you forget it, whether or not you've learned from it or grown and realized it was wrong at the time, 10 years later, it comes back and all of a sudden, you know, you're not the host of the, of the Oscars anymore or whatever Kevin Hart was supposed to I do. mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, because you're, Instagram is your brand. And so while it is supposed to be representing your real life, uh, it's representing what you want people to see as your real life and what you're comfortable with people seeing as your real life. And for for us as performers and, well, I mean, sure for loads of people, what is on our Instagram is how we're represented to casting and uh, and fans, you know. So it's it's a lot. That's a lot of pressure on one platform. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, your Instagram is beautiful. I was I was looking through it to try to, <laughs> to try to find some talking points for this interview, and I was like, oh, she's just she's just a very very well put together person. Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. There was one thing though on your Instagram profile I needed to ask about the self-proclaimed peanut butter addict. Tell me about that. Oh yeah. That's real. That's really real. And like, honestly, one time I ate so much peanut butter, I thought I was going to die because I couldn't swallow. Like it got all clogged in my throat and I couldn't swallow because I'd just been spooning it from the jar. Um, yeah, I, I don't know when it really became a true addiction. I've had peanut butter my whole life, but uh, I have it often. I have a spoon of it 
just straight from the jar. Often I would have it um, during beautiful, actually always, uh, in my dressing room, a spoon or a piece of dark chocolate, a piece, like half a block. <laughs> uh, you scoop out the peanut butter, put the chocolate, put it together in your mouth, delicious. Um, I, I sort of do this thing, this is my dessert most days, which is a date filled with peanut butter and some salt dipped in chocolate. That sounds delicious. That's, yeah, yeah, I just love it. So that's a daily thing for me. Um, and I'm not, not ashamed of it. <laughs> <laughs> she said reluctantly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well you then. Peanut butter addiction. There are much worse things to be addicted to. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, you could, yes, we won't go there. There are many, many things that are much worse. But um, so we'll wrap up the episode here with the three standard closing questions I ask everybody on the episodes here. And the first one, very simply, is what motivates you? What motivates me? Wow. Is this a hard question for people? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, okay. What motivates me? I genuinely don't know how to answer that. I think a lot of things. I think the people that I have decided to keep in my life, my dear friends, my friends that are uh, one of my dear friends is a mum and just has her life together and I constantly am motivated to be more like her. My partner, who is just the hardest worker and and really, really good at what he does. Uh, and, yeah, and another dear friend of mine who is constantly kind, always kind. Kindness always comes first. And so all three of them, motivate me to be a better version of myself and also to work hard. Does that answer your question? Because it seems like today I don't know how to answer questions. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> you No need to have any anxiety over this interview. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> so the next question is, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Hmm. Maybe this is a controversial one, but I would say as much as it's so amazing to put all your eggs in one basket and I maybe that's why I'm here, I would spend a little bit of time finding other things that I love so that when this isn't, when this industry, when, when shows, when work isn't going to plan, that I have something else that I'm passionate about that I love. I... I would take a moment to figure that out and give that some time over the years so that in a situation like this, I had a little bit more power. Just I think there's, there's power in knowledge of everything. So I, that would be the other piece of advice, just constantly learn. And actually Americans are so amazing at that. That's something I really respect about all of you. I feel like people are constantly going to class and taking workshops and putting themselves out there. And I am very much inspired by that. We do like to overwork. I will agree with that. Yes. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so the final question then, if you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Hamilton. Hamilton? Oh, yeah, that's a no-brainer. Oh, you're, you're like that's the hit- a, that, that is the best show ever. <laughs> is it the history or the music or what? What is it about it? Uh, it's, I think it's the music, but it's the genius in his lyrics as well. The way that he ties two sentences together with one word, the way that he uses the rhythm to convey the character's feelings, the way that he's blended rap and pop and musical all into one. Like I, when I want to run and I can't run, I'm a terrible runner. I've got knees that hit each other. I look, I mean, if you want something to laugh at, you should film me on a treadmill. Um, but <laughs> I, if I ever want to run, I run to Yorktown because it's an absolute banger. It's so good. And I'm not that sort of person that listens to music theatre songs at the gym. I mean, there are people like that. I'm just not one of them. <laughs> uh, but I love that he blended two things that I love, music theatre and pop, R&B, rap, and smooshed them together. To one spot. I love it. I, I love it too. I agree. So where can we find you online? <laughs> you can find me on Instagram, uh, Bowie Zool. Uh, you can look, I have a blog that I started a while ago that's half finished. So that'll be, I mean, this is the perfect time to do it, right? So that'll be somewhere at some point. <laughs> uh, okay. there, there might be a YouTube video of me here or there but I don't want to send you to them because God knows what you'll find <laughs> oh goodness alright we can get good at the self-promotion clearly <laughs> you can get more of me at the theaterpodcast.com show your support at the theaterpodcast.com slash Patreon I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast on Facebook slash official theater podcast please leave a rating and a review they all help this is edited by Matthew Hendershot and Chloe thank you so much for this interview this has been a lot of fun <laughs> thank you for having me Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.